Amen. Anybody glad to be in church today? All right. If you have a Bible, we're going to be kicking off a series in the book of John. So you can meet me there. Uh, if you have a hard copy or your phone, you can be there in no time at all. But if it's uh, your first or second time with us, I want to say a special welcome to you. My name's Mitch. I was not here last week and uh, I missed you. I missed being with you, but I did have uh, the joy of going down to Jamaica. I know somebody's got to do it. Must be hard uh, to pastor here, you know. But uh, I got to go visit one of the churches that we support through our Water's Edge family of churches named Zeal, Jamaica. And, uh, you know, there's something about worshiping Jesus in a different culture that just is special. That just disrupts what we are used to, what we think is normal. And to just watch the joy uh, in worship in another culture was just, it was something special. And uh, so I'm just happy to report to you that God is moving uh, through our family of churches literally all around the world. And so uh, it was so much fun uh, just to be there, to pray with them, to see what God's doing there. And it was just an amazing, amazing time. And so thanks for uh, letting me go. Thanks for giving. Thanks for being generous. And just on that service last week. At Zeal, we saw five people give their lives to Christ, and it just makes it worth it, you know, and uh, just to watch what God's doing, and uh, so often that's just through generosity. It's it's not even what we get to see, it's just uh, we give because He gave, right? And so that was just super fun uh, to be a part of that, but I did miss uh, being with you, but I'm excited to be back kicking off a brand new series through the Gospel of John. Now, you might be wondering, you're saying through, Pastor, what do you mean through the Gospel of John? We're going through the whole thing. The whole thing. You're like, that's a big book. You're right. And we got all the time in the world. And so we're going to go from now through Advent. So up to Advent, just sitting in the Gospel of John. And so I want to encourage you to do two things as we get started this week. I want to encourage you to, number one, pray. One of the things that we've been talking about for a long time is that we live in a moment of hurry. We live in a moment of pace and speed. And if there's ever a place that ought not to feel that way, it should be right here. When I think about the body of Christ gathering, when I think about Sabbath, when I think about rest, when I think about the pace at which Jesus lived his life, I think about slowing down. I think about sitting in and listening. We sang it. I just want to sit here at his feet, but often we're even in our series moving, moving as quickly as we can through the content. And I want to invite you to go on a journey. I want to invite you to pray that as we slow down a little bit as a community, that God would speak to you. That by sitting for a longer period of time, through almost a year, that you would see wonderful things in his word. That we would, that we would experience it. And and just so you know, even by taking this much time, we're only going to scratch the surface I just ordered some resources to study John and they were massive. And I was like, wow, 
like we might have bit off more than we can chew. But at the same time, there's so much here for us to taste and see that Jesus is good. And so I don't invite you on that journey with me, but it's not lost on me that there's pressure. I feel the pressure of even saying that to you in our culture. Of even saying that we're going to take that level of time together in one book. And so I just want to invite you to pray. Pray about it. Pray that God would help you as we make this journey through an incredible book of the Bible together. That he would just speak to you. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to read the whole thing on your own. Whether you do that like all this week or whether you stretch it out or whether you do a chapter a day. Um, I don't want to micromanage that, but I just want to encourage you to sit with it on your own time. Fair enough? All right, let's go. John's gospel, interestingly, is a sacramental gospel. He's writing to a really diverse People. He's probably writing from a city called Ephesus to both Jews and Gentiles in a Greco-Roman world that was incredibly diverse uh, in Ephesus, but also beyond. So many different things happening at the close of that first century when John was writing. Uh, it's a sacramental gospel because it ushers in grace. What do I mean? We'll see in a second that what John opens with is that Jesus has come. It's a doctrine we call the incarnation, but it's what he came. C.K. Barrett wrote of this magnificent work. He said, there's more sacramental teaching in John than in all the other Gospels. Why is it important for us to recognize as we step into the waters of John that this is sacramental in nature? Think about it. John is going to present the word. He's going to present Jesus. As the word becoming flesh. Why was that so significant? You and I have heard it many times. But why so significant in that moment? Because in the backdrop was a lot of different thinking about why the flesh is bad. And that the goal was to get out of your flesh and into some other spiritual place where you could attain what you're looking for. There was Gnostic thinking, Stoic thinking, all kinds of different things happening in that world. And then John says, oh, no, actually, God stepped out of the splendors of heaven into earth to be with you. It was a crazy statement at the time and sacramental, even in the thesis of the entire book in John chapter 20 which won't be on the screen, but I want you to just listen to it. Here's what John's words are about his own book by the time he gets to the close of it. He says this in John 20, 30 and 31. He says, now Jesus did many other signs because he's going to we're going to look at a ton of his work, a ton of his mission, a ton of his activity. And yet at the end of it, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So this isn't the entirety of what Jesus' life was. John's pulling things out to tell us something. What's he trying to tell us? Verse 31 says, but these, this selection, this volume is written so that, and here it is, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, here it is, you may have life. 
in his name. If I was going to pull you one at a time and ask you if Jesus was standing in front of you offering life, would that resonate? Resonates with me a lot because a lot of the life that I'm trying to manufacture doesn't feel like life. A lot of times it feels like death. (laughs) A lot of times I know what is good and true, but it don't feel like it's good and true. And I think you probably understand exactly what I'm talking about. But John wrote his gospel. He wrote his volume so that we, so that thousands of Hundreds of thousands, millions, billions even of people who have believed in his name would find life. And we have unique, unique obstacles in our moment that keep us from embracing his life. Much of which are manufactured by our own abilities that he gave us in the first place. Does that make sense? But oftentimes, just the sheer fact that we are able to get stuff done causes us to not trust, causes us to not look to him first. And so from there, we travel all the way back to the beginning of the gospel. And if you're taking notes today, I want you to write my title down and I want it to be a question for you this week. And I would encourage you to think about it. As you begin to read this book and pray through it as a community, here's the question. What happens when God comes to earth? What happens when God comes to earth? We know the answer because we've heard the sermon, we've read the book, but, but I just put yourself in that moment, even this moment, And think about the things that we declare that we believe, that God is with us. The thing we sang was that nothing else will do. I don't know about you, but the idols in my heart often will do. Just being real with you. There's like 10 or 12 things that through the week I really like. And oftentimes I settle for that. And just to be frank, most of the time... They'll do. But often what we'll do certainly doesn't lead me to a place of flourishing. And so I'm laying this table because what happens when God comes to earth? What happens when God comes into your life? If the answer is not much, we're missing it. We're missing it. And we often miss it because we just simply aren't willing to dive in and do it. You tracking with me? I feel guilty already. <laughs> Listen to me. Two, two problems just right off the bat. And, and we, we could talk about hundreds of them. But number one is that for, for those of us who follow Jesus, truth has become so common That we don't actually consider that it came from the incarnate God. We we take his word or we take truth or we take church or we take community so for granted that it doesn't mean much to us anymore. That's a terrible place to be. 
I think about what Jesus said when when he told about the story where people come into his throne room in heaven, ready to enter into his kingdom. And they say, God, look at all the things we did. And what did what did he say to him? Those of you who know your scripture, what did he say? He said, depart from me. I don't know you. Man, could anything be more scary than to go to church every week, to gather with God's people every week and get to the end and be like, look at all the things I did and have the king of kings look at you and say, you did a lot of things, but they certainly weren't for me. I don't I don't even know you. What is what is the thesis of this book that you would know him and receive his life? If that's true, then. Some stuff has to change, (laughs) but it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's hard to do those things that Jesus is going to call us to do, right? Because he's going to ask you to do things like lay down your life. He's going to ask you to do things like pick up your cross. He's going to tell Nicodemus in John chapter three in a few weeks that he's got to be reborn and it blows Nicodemus's mind. And I think that's true for us. There's some things that the incarnate God, God in the flesh, God come to earth that change some things and are going to call us to make some decisions that maybe we haven't been willing to entertain or make. There, there's a second, you know, if you're if you're sitting here today or you're watching online and, and you're not a follower of Jesus and it's not the path of your life. There's a struggle for you as you sit here that truth is so irrelevant because for so long we've been told that our feelings and emotions are the only thing that matters. That there is nothing outside of us that ought to speak into us. That there is no authority, there is no place, there is no design that was made for you to flourish. And so it becomes increasingly difficult and an increasing problem for you to see the forest through the trees. Like, how could a God come to earth and love me and give his life for me and that affect me from 2,000 years ago right now? How is that even possible? Both lead to a different version of atheism. For the Christian, it's just practical atheism where you believe this set of things, but it never makes a difference in your life. And for the one who doesn't follow Jesus to just assume that he couldn't possibly be worth following. And so I just want to invite you to consider that as we jump in. What happens when God comes to earth because... Chances are there are moments in your life where you can't help shake the feeling that there's more than you can see. And so John opens this book addressing that very clearly spiritual issue with a very sacramental understanding of God. And I want to look at it with you this morning, namely what happens when God comes to earth. When grace, unlike any the world has ever seen, is ushered into our midst. Look at the beginning in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. And remember, John's writing, it's under his personality, but he's filled with the Spirit of God as he writes. And he says this, in the beginning, he's connecting it to the motif that Genesis presents that God's created the heavens and the earth. He's declaring something here that Jesus is preexistent to everything that you know. 
It's important. He says in the beginning was the word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Incredibly important. That Jesus pre-existed everything that is here. And he is, in fact, God, because this matters, because if Jesus is God and everything else that he says, and then when he dies on the cross and rises again and we'll celebrate it on Good Friday and Easter, and and we're going to declare that it's the most important, the central thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. And therefore, you should change your life because of it. It's a big deal. In the beginning, so pre-existing all of this, and he's creating all of this for a reason, for a purpose. And you ought to adjust your life to this book, not the other way around. Easier said than done. And so he continues, he says, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, he's the author of life. And the author of life gets to declare the intent of life. There are implications to the fact that this is true. If he made you, he made the manual of you, then there's a certain way that you were made and ought to act and live and move and breathe as scripture talks about. Wildly unpopular today. (laughs) We just be honest about that wildly unpopular to say that there's one way that you ought to live your life. And you should just know that, that that if you're going to walk to a neighbor's house and hand them a gift and say, Jesus loves you, you're declaring something. (laughs) But what what they don't know, and we'll talk about here in a second, is just how good that is. That we're not, in fact, advocating for something that's going to change their life in a terrible way, but in the best way that I could ever imagine. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Verse four. I love this verse. I would encourage you to highlight it. Do something with it. Write it on the door frame of your house if you need to or tattoo it on your body. I'm a fan of that. In him was what? Life. In him was Life. Can I just remind you today that as you sit here facing whatever it is, loss, meaninglessness, you fill in the blank. Pain, hurt, relationships, all of it. In Jesus is life. And if you've lost your life, can I just invite you back to find it? In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Some of you need to know that today. Darkness has not overcome light. It would be very easy. And in just a moment, we're going to pray for Syria and for Turkey and all these places where it looks like darkness has overcome light, but it hasn't. Because one of the things that's declared here in John's gospel is that life is eternal. That eternal life changes the trajectory of your life now, but forever. That the forever side of life affects this part of life. That the way you feel, the way you interact can be submitted to the life of Christ. 
think about some of these things that says God is. Talk about who God is here. Word. He's a word. In other words, he's not going to change, right? We, we hear things about Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever. Very few things in our life don't change, do they? We are constantly shifting. We're constantly changing. We're constantly on edge. We're constantly dealing with anxiety. All these things, and yet there's a, there's a word. Jesus. Who never shifts and never changes. It says he's the beginning. He pre-existed. He understands. He created. He's light. He's life. He's overcomer. Jesus is all of these things for you. And so we have this prologue to the book that introduces Jesus as pre-existent, eternal, and now incarnate word. So that God comes to earth. That God Cares about you. Think about this. The revelation of God set in motion by the Son. It's going to require the entire book to just simply scratch the surface of what God's doing in the world. And the eternal life that he offers. And I'll be honest with you. In verse 6, it's just like this random blip about John the Baptist. And for most of the week as I was just processing this, I was like, why? Why is John the Baptist in this part? Look at, look at verse 6. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's like, I mean, you're like, he's the incarnate word. He's the word become flesh. All things were made through him. We got, we got these glorious, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then there's John. Not even the John that wrote the book. John. <laughs> like, Feels like you're going like, you know, feels like a plane crash. It's like, like glorious, amazing God and John. Like, What's going on here? Why is John there? And then literally on Friday afternoon, it hit me. Because most of us miss it. That's why John's there. What does it say about John? It says there's a man sent from God whose name was John. Verse 7. He came as a witness. To bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Jesus desires that every human being that has ever walked the face of the earth would see him, know him and believe in him. Why? Because he created us to be in relationship with him. He created us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he created man. He breathed. Listen, listen to the imagery. He breathed into Adam the breath of what? Life. This in John 1 says that in Jesus is life. So from the very start, God himself has been breathing into us the breath of life. And so if you don't feel alive today, can I just suggest that you need to come back to the feet of Jesus because it's in him there is life. It's not in what we do. It's not in what we forget to do for you. It's not in what we say we're going to do and then don't deliver on for each other in our relationships because we're humans who need the same thing. Life. And the corporate thing will get better when the individual thing gets better. Because then you're going to come back with Jesus every time you come in here. What a powerful thing. 
It says, He came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Verse 8, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light. That means there's some false lights. Which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was, and then here it is, he was in the world and the world was made through him. And yet the world did not know him. Why is John slapped right in the middle of this glorious passage? Because we're going to get back to it. We're going to go right back up the mountain into glory. (laughs) But we get, he, he created everything. He's God. Jesus is amazing. In him is life and he's the light of men. Darkness does not overcome him. John. Then we're going to go right back up the mountain and talk about glory. (laughs) But John's sandwiched here in the middle of these massive mountain peaks because the reality is, and it's still true today, just like it was then, that so many people miss it. Why do we miss it? Because you and I are the representatives of Jesus on earth. So what's that mean? It means two things. It means, number one, some of us don't take that seriously enough. We're not loving and serving and laying our life down as we've been called to. And I'm not talking just to you, I'm talking to me. That's a that's big, big thing that we're going to get a vision for as we go through this book. The second part is that there's spiritual warfare. There's principalities and darkness. And so even though the scripture says that the darkness does not overcome the light, it doesn't say that the darkness isn't there, does it? It's there. And if we're walking around 21st century United States of America only looking at the things that we can control and the things that we're good at and the things that we do and all the things, we're going to get to the end of our life and realize that we missed it. We missed life. We're so busy doing that we missed life. And so this matters. This matters a lot because the same reality as Jesus came into the world, the light and the darkness, the life of mankind, most of the world then and most of our world now doesn't recognize the word among us. If I was to ask you again, if I was to pull you again and say, is it easy for you to see God in your midst? I would bet that a lot of us struggle to see God. How do I, I, I know the unseen world is there, but how do I get there? I feel like it should work like the upside down and stranger things where I just go through a portal and boom, I'm there. And there's things floating around and it's super weird. There's demons and, you know, it, it, there's play there. There's just no portals here. <laughs> or is there? We've been talking about prayer a lot. I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you to talk to God. Because what's very interesting here is that even though people didn't recognize him and therefore didn't receive him, they were made by him but couldn't see him is what the scripture says. There was still a remnant. There was still the few, the curious, the willing to open their heart and believe. And the scripture says, and we'll read it here in a second. For the few who did receive him, they were spiritually reborn as God's kids. Wow. Listen, that's what I'm after. That's what I want to lead you to. 
reborn. Look at this in verse 11. He came to his own. You are God's. If you feel lost today, if you feel out of place today, if you feel like you don't have a home today, can I just tell you that you are God's? Wow. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But such an important word in the Bible. It's all over. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Translation, there's nothing you can do to get there on your own. It's completely him. It's completely his work. And it's totally free and it's totally available right now. But here's my question. What does that feel like? What does that look like? What is taking place in that unseen realm for for you to be reborn into God's family? What does that feel like? In our day and age, I think that's a significant question and we'll spend a lot of time looking at that through this book. But as we set out to it, I just I want to invite you to think about that. What what does it feel like to be in God's family? It's also one of the things I think we struggle to get right as the family. As we sit here right now, because we're distracted because we have a lot of things going on. And, and just to be honest with you, most of us are just too busy to do this for each other. <laughs> just be honest with you. What's it feel like? Can I say it to you this way? I might want to write this down and think about it. I think it feels like home. What do I mean? Home is the place where you can have everything be a mess and still find love. Home is a place where you can belong even when you don't have all of your crap together. And if that doesn't resonate with you, I don't know how to help you. Listen, that's not very eloquent, but I'm just being honest with you. Because listen, when I go home and my three kids are crazy and I'm a bad husband and then stuff happens at work and stuff happens at school and stuff. And then, you know, your kid does something that you're like, I thought my kids would never do that. And then they do it. And then, you know, or maybe you're in college and you get presented with something and you fall to a temptation or, you know, you fill in the blank. Or you wake up one day and you're like, all I do is work. I don't have any peace in my life. All I do is work. All I do is run. All I do is hustle. Man, like you just fill in the blank because like where is there time to do the stuff that the Bible talks about? Like, do you do you know that in Acts it says that they met together every day? Man, I got time for that. Maybe I'll just meet with one of you every day. <laughs> and we, it's, it's hard to get people to show up for prayer on Wednesday. I didn't, I didn't even come. Why? Well, I was out of the country. I think that's fair. I juked you. But do you understand what I'm saying? Like, there's things presented here and we don't ever taste them because we don't have time for them. And listen, I don't have the fix yet, but I do know that a lot of choices are involved. 
And I also don't think it means you have to come here. It says that they gathered together in their homes daily. What I do know is that for us to really taste and see that the Lord is good means, means a whole lot more of us with each other. You can call that a shameless plug for city groups or whatever you want, but the, the reality is is that home is, you know the saying, home is where the heart is, right? Jesus says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. Jesus also said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. There, there are ways to follow, ways to see where you have your home. Look at the look at the rest of this scripture here in verse 14. It says the word became flesh and what I love this and dwelt among us. Home is where you dwell. Home is where you dwell and Jesus chose to come and dwell here. He chose to come and make a home here. So that you could dwell with him, right? We're going to get to John 15. He's going to say, if you abide in me, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. I like fruit. I want fruit to come out of my life. I want life. Fruit declares that there's life present, right? And I I see just way too many people who claim to know Jesus walking around dead. Right. James says faith without works is dead. Why? Like not because we're trying to get saved, but because we are saved. Man, if I know Jesus, like there's fruit. He's the life in him is life and life produces things. I just want to I just want to encourage you to find life today. But it is it is prescribed how to get there. And if you ignore it, you're not going to find it. Because look at what happens here. We go right back up the mountain. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. We have felt his weight. Have you ever stood anywhere in creation or with people or watched your child get born or something stood on a mountaintop in Utah or somewhere and just felt the weight of God's presence? The reality that there's more than meets the eye. And I've had those moments and if I, I just think that if I could get back there. But listen, one of the greatest miracles that was ever done was you, was us. Every time you're in the presence of another human being, you're at the mountaintop. The most intricate of things that God ever made was the people sitting right next to you. That's why we fall in love. That's why we have family. That's why we say blood is thicker than water. Let's go. Right? Like we know what these things mean. Why? Because there's just more than meets the eye. And I think John's inviting us into that place where Jesus becomes the more that meets the eye. Says we've seen his glory. Have you seen his glory? If you've ever held a child sitting right in the back, so glad you're back. Glory. If you've ever gotten married, glory. If you've ever gone to a city group, glory. We have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of, and here, here, here's where we're going to land, and this is so important, 
full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Right. What's John saying? He's Lord because he made the whole deal. He knows what he's doing when we don't. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And so here we come full circle back to why is this a sacramental understanding of God? Because the life that Jesus brings, brings you grace upon grace. Man, if I had a story to tell, my testimony, grace upon grace. For all the times that I have not done what I ought to do. And Jesus still shows up and still gives me life and still gives us life and still has this thing that we are a part of. Grace upon grace. And then look at this. For the law was given through Moses, which condemns you. You ever just feel bad about yourself? You ever just feel like you don't measure up? Ever feel like you just can't get your crap together? It's because you can't. The law... Let's you know, right? Paul says that the law is a mirror. It's that it's that thing that we hold up and we get fully aware of who we are. Right? You look in one every morning, probably in the mirror and you fix some stuff. At least we hope you do. Right? My breath smells. I'm going to brush my teeth. My hair is crazy. I'm going to fix it. We get this understanding. So the law of God sits in front of us and says, this is who you are. But what's beautiful about that is Jesus stands there and declares who he makes you. A powerful thing. Because it says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. Being born of God, adopted by God, is to dwell in him. John will develop this more in the coming weeks, but it says that Jesus made his dwelling among us. We saw his glory and it was full of grace and truth. Let me ask you this. What are you dwelling in today? As we kind of funnel this down and think about the word become flesh, when God came to earth, when grace was ushered into the world, grace upon grace, what are you dwelling in? Where have you made your home? I've been thinking about that all week because I think I have a lot of homes. (laughs) One of them is happening in a few hours. Some of you looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. There's some Eagles fans and some Chiefs fans in the room. And I wasn't going to point that out a whole lot, but they're here. Some of us are mourning because our team stinks. We make a lot of homes. Right? Work, play, kids, family. We make a lot of homes. Where are you dwelling today? Grace and truth is the fullness of God's love played out in your life because it's not always about what you want to hear, right? Sometimes it's about what you need to hear. Grace and truth. You've heard the phrase, sometimes the truth hurts. It's true, but it's good still, right? Like I tell my kids not to do things because they're going to get hurt. God's going to tell you not to do some things because it's going to, you're going to get hurt. But you know what I love? When my kid sticks their hand on the stove anyway, I'm not like, 
Way to go. <laughs> Figure it out. No, no. What do I do? I come. I come with what? Grace upon grace. Right. And that's a silly example. But don't you live that every day? I do what I want to do. Romans seven. I don't do the things that I'm supposed to do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul says. And then he says, but thanks be to God. Come on. That's life. Listen, I am not naive enough to stand up here and think you walk out of here and act like Jesus all week, every week. Because I don't. And so when we come back in here and we recalibrate our thinking, we're recalibrating back to what we know is grace and truth. So I'm going to have the band come up and I want to take some time to pray here so you guys can come on up. But as they come, I want you to listen. I mean, if there was ever a poster child for what John's talking about with this kind of life that just waffles and we just we need life. It was David, wasn't it? I just always think about King David, right? Like from the royalist of screw ups (laughs) to the highest of mountain peaks, right? Murdered a guy, slept with his wife, lost a baby because of it. All the way to he's a man after God's own heart. Right. I mean, if there was ever the swing of life, it was him. But I want you to listen to one thing that he wrote in Psalm 27, verse four. Now, listen, Psalm 27 is amazing. You should go read the whole thing while you read John. Just write that down. It'll feed your soul. But I want you to listen to this Psalm 27, four. He wrote these words. One thing I have asked of the Lord. There's a lot of things we ask of the Lord, but I love how he just separates. There's this there's this one thing that rises above that I ask of the Lord. And then he says this, that I will seek after. And that's my invitation to you as we embark on this journey. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after. Here it is, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Where are you dwelling? Where are you dwelling? And then it says this, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. If you've been around here at all, there is zero chance that we haven't let you down. That was a little loud. A little loud on the left. I'm just kidding. No, it's true, right? There's zero chance that your spouse hasn't let you down, that your friends haven't let you down, that somebody hasn't said something that crushed you. David knew all about that. Hiding in caves, been to war, been betrayed by his family. He was a terrible parent. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We are that temple. Being together is that temple. It is the place where we inquire of the Lord. Where are you dwelling? Where are you dwelling today? Out of his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Moses' law brought condemnation. Jesus ushered grace and truth. No one had ever seen God until Jesus made him known. Will you open your heart 
and receive Jesus for the thousandth time or maybe for the first time. He's here. Jesus has come. His glory is revealed. His light shines in the present darkness just as it did in the past darkness. He has overcome the darkness, generally speaking, for all of eternity, but He is also present here and He will overcome it in your life as well. But the invitation for you is to come to Him. It's to remain in Him, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. John's gospel is about life. It's all about life and light and Jesus. Eternal life being ushered in through Jesus. We typically think of eternal life as a future thing, but I want you to know that it's a present thing. That future life is a present reality. And if God has everything fixed and forever finished, which is what he said when he hung on the cross... Did you ever think about that? He said, it is finished. What's finished? Life is secured for you. And if that's what's to come, then it changes what is now. If I know how this thing ends, I have the courage and peace to live in the now. Jesus almost always talked about eternal life in the present. It's a present reality, a spiritual dwelling place. We might call it peace. Where are you dwelling? Are you at peace? I want to invite you to stand with me as the band plays and sings. Listen, every week is that opportunity to recalibrate your thinking. And every week we just want to offer to you prayer. We don't think it's an afterthought. We think it's the most important thing that we do. And again, I'm not naive enough to know, to think that you've got everything going in the way it ought to go. So I want to invite you. I'll be down front. Ask Pastor Tim to stand at the back. Jerome's floating back there too. We want to pray with you. That's it. Said all those things to say. We want to be with you. We want to pray for you. And so as the band plays and as the band sings, feel free to grab one of us. You don't have to come either. You can just grab somebody nearby. The people around you would love to pray with you. They're not as scary as they look. So whatever's going on in your life, we would love to pray with you. So come on, let's sing this out and let's pray together. You can move now.